There was a wise old man riding his camel through uh, the desert many years ago, and he was excited to come across an oasis. His camel quickened its step, but when he uh, came into the oasis, he heard all this loud shouting and the rattling of sabers, and uh, armed conflict was about to break out. And so he uh, kind of charges into the middle and asks, what's going on? Turns out it was a large, one large family. The patriarch had just died, and the three sons were squabbling. They were squabbling over the inheritance. Uh, the father had left half the inheritance to the eldest son, a third of the inheritance to the second son, and one-ninth to the youngest. Now, that disparity of inheritance wasn't what caused the conflict. The problem was the inheritance consisted of 17 camels. Can't be divided in half, can't be divided in thirds, can't be divided in ninths. And so uh, the eldest son was saying, well, I'm, I'm the eldest, I should get the extra. The youngest two are like, no way, you've already gotten the disproportionately large share. It should come to us. They, and this conflict had escalated to where they were about to start fighting. Well, this wise old man said, I can mediate between you and bring peace. They said, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, first let's agree on a payment. And so they said, okay, here's what we're willing to pay you if you can actually bring about peace. They agreed on it. How are you going to do this? So what happens is this uh, old man says, I'll just add my uh, camel to the equation. You're willing to do that? Oh, yes, yeah. So they said, okay. The eldest son took half. The second son took his third and the youngest a ninth. And the wise old man, uh, man got up on his camel and rode away. Uh, there were 17 camels. He added his camel. Now there are 18. Half is nine. One-third is six. One-ninth is two. Add them up. 17 camels. And there was uh, one camel left over, and, and so this wise mediator gets to ride off in his camel, and everybody's happy. Now, I tell the story because today we're talking about uh, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, and his role as high priest. Second uh, Timothy, First uh, Timothy 2, 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, namely the man Jesus Christ. Today in our text, we're studying Hebrews this summer, and today we're in, uh, beginning in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and we read, uh, therefore, since we have such a great high priest, Jesus, is a great high priest. Now, what, what did priests do? What was their function? Well, their function was to uh, mediate between God and man. In fact, in our text, we read, uh, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Why, why was a priest necessary? Well, because of our sin. And our sin make, puts us at odds with God. In fact, the Bible says that until you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and as a result have his righteous life and his blood uh, paying for your sins, the wrath of God rests upon you. There's enmity between God and man because of sin. And as a result, 
the priests were needed to uh, be mediators between humans and God. Now, it's God who established the priesthood, which tells us God wants the relationship. God acted so that there would be peace, and it's a reflection of the heart of God. But now, the old, uh, the rest of Hebrews, and we'll get into this more, but the old system uh, of priests is gone because there is now one final priest, Jesus Christ, who lives forever. Now, in order to be a successful priest, you had to be two things. Any priest who was to be successful in the role had to be two things. Number one, you had to be acceptable to God. God had to receive you, had to be willing to relate to humans through you. And secondly, you had to be accessible to people because you functioned, you represented the people to God, and you represented God to the people. So for a, a, a high priest to be successful in the role, they had to be acceptable to God and accessible to people. Now, unfortunately, in Israel's history, very often you had high priests who were uh, not acceptable to God. Uh, in the Old Testament, the high priest, uh, there was a number of things they had to be. One is they had to be descendants of Aaron. Uh, they're supposed to be the eldest son of the eldest son of Aaron, became the high priest. Well, uh, sometimes Israel was uh, under the dominion of others like the Syrians or the Romans at the time of Christ, and the high priest, uh, the position of a high priest was sometimes appointed by foreign governments or purchased. And so uh, the, the people of Israel uh, often were longing for a, a true high priest. Well, in our passage today, uh, the real point of our passage today is that Jesus Christ is fully qualified to be the high priest. He is a great high priest. First off, he is, he is fully qualified because he is acceptable to God. And so let's start marching through the text. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus has passed through the heavens uh, in chapter 1, verse 3 or 4. I think it says that right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Jesus is in heaven. No, no high priest has ever been actually in the presence of God at the right hand of the Father in the position of uh, ultimate respect. So Jesus is a better high priest than we've ever had because he's right there with God able 24-7 to intercede for us. Number two, Jesus, the Son of God. He's not just a human. He's God. The Son of the living God, the only begotten Son. And so, uh, he's not just a servant in the house of God. Chapter 3, the very beginning of chapter 3, compares Jesus to Moses and said, Moses was faithful servant, but Jesus was the faithful Son, and therefore Jesus is more deserving of honor. Moses is like uh, the house, and it's a beautiful house, but Jesus is the builder, and he's more He's more deserving of he's deserving of even greater honor. So, uh, this this great high priest Jesus is the Son, and what father isn't going to listen to his son? And when his son says, "Dad, I really, really, really want this," what dad is going to, especially our heavenly Father, is going to turn uh, a deaf ear? He is acceptable 
to the Father because he's uh, in heaven. He is the Son. Number three, he is without sin. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, verse 15, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is a high priest who has never offended the Father. The Old Testament high priests, before they were allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, they always had to first make sacrifice for their sins and then sacrifice for the sins of their family. And only then was God, did God accept them to uh, make sacrifice on behalf of the people. But this great high priest has never, ever sinned. And so there is never, he has never offended God. In fact, what does God say about his son, Jesus Christ? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You're starting to feel why Jesus is a better high priest than we've ever had. A great high priest. He is totally acceptable to God. And then finally, Jesus is acceptable to God because God appointed him. Chapter 5, verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you, quoting from the Old Testament. And again, and he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So God has appointed Jesus to be priest. Jesus is fully acceptable to God, and so he is able to represent God to us. He's God, God, he has God's total favor, and he has God's ear and God's heart. And he's also fully accessible to us. The importance of the God-man. God is acceptable, or Jesus is accessible to us because he became human. Absolutely critical. Verse 15, don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why is not? Why is he not unable? Because he became a human. He's lived in, in the limited uh, form of the body. He knows what it means to be human with all its limitations. And so he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows uh, our frailties. Every high priest has been chosen from among men. Jesus became human so that he could be chosen from amongst the humans. He's one of us. He became one of us so that he could represent us uh, with, with full uh, sympathy. So he sympathizes with weakness. He's also accessible to us because he has been tempted, just as we are. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Chapter 2, verse uh, 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, uh, in every way, notice uh, in a, it says, in every way as we are. In, he's been tempted as we are in every respect. Uh, Jesus knows what it, uh, what it feels like to 
desire something uh, that is not the will of God. He knows what it's like to feel the pull uh, of, of the illicit, of sin. He knows the temptation to seize for ourselves rather than, than to wait on God's timing. Now, when I was younger, I used to think, if you, you know, if Jesus never sinned, how can he really understand the power of temptation? He's never given into it. And then I read something by Martin Luther who says, look, it's only the person who actually keeps resisting temptation that under, that, that has borne up under its full weight. When we give in to, well, somebody once said, what's the quickest way to get rid of temptation? Give in to it. <laughs> of course, it comes back. But Jesus kept bearing up under it, bearing up under it, bearing up under it until he finally uh, defeated it. Because the one difference, be, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. And how did, how did he do that? He did that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that resides within us, which is why it is possible for us uh, to walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Jesus is available or accessible to us because uh, he's, been, he's been a human, experienced our weakness because he's been tempted. Uh, thirdly, because um, Jesus is available to us, accessible to us, because he knows what it's like to be in need, to be in desperate need. Chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus, Jesus, know, Jesus knows what it's like to be desperately in need of God to come through. God, please. I need your help. I need your strength. I don't want to go through this. I'm scared. I need you, God. And so when we come to God in need, he's like, I've been there. I know what that's like. And so he sympathizes with us. And then finally, Jesus uh, is available to us, accessible, because uh, he, he's, he knows what it is to suffer. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Of course, he ultimately suffered a brutal death upon the cross, public mockery. He, he suffered a, a moment in time where uh, the Father had forsaken him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what that's like to be suffering. And of course, he's talking to Christians in, in Hebrews. He's talking to Christians who are undergoing persecution, who are suffering uh, because of their faith in Christ and who, who are um, tempted to turn back and to back away from Christ so as to avoid this suffering. And so, in our text today, we are reminded that we have a great high priest who is fully acceptable to God and fully available to us. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Here's the big uh, takeaway. In light of this, chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then, this is the logical uh, response to the fact that we have 
a great high priest in Jesus Christ. Let us then, what? With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. What's the throne of grace? It's just a picture of God. It reminds us that God is king, king of the universe. And his throne is not a throne of judgment for the Christian. It's a throne of grace. Let us draw near. The word draw near is uh, not just a one-time deal. It's a day by day by day. Keep drawing near to God. Take a moment. God, the creator of all, the king of the universe, saying, please, I want you to come close, draw near. How near? There are no limitations. Now, in the Old Testament, there were limitations. Think about the temple. A couple of years ago, uh, Sabrina and I had a chance to go to Jerusalem and see it. Well, women were only allowed to go so close. So uh, the very presence of God was believed to reside, what resided in the Holy of Holies. And then radiating out from that, uh, you had uh, the Gentiles could only come so close. Jewish women could come a little closer. The Jewish men could come a little closer. The priests could come a little closer. And then the high priest could go all the way into the Holy of Holies once a year. Only after a very thorough process of kind of purification. And then they could come into the very presence of God, into the Holy of Holies once a year. And in fact, they tied a rope to the high priest in case the high priest was not acceptable to God and was struck dead. And they could pull him out. So that's, the, you know, these, this, these are the Hebrew, these Christians that come out of that background, and here, here they're being told, draw near to the throne of grace. Basically, go, go into the Holy of Holies with confidence. What? God is now letting us draw that near, all of us, men, women, Gentiles, Jews. We're not even priests because of Jesus Christ. Isn't, isn't that amazing? With confidence. Because who, who in the world is... Now, if you, if you are saying, yeah, yeah, I'm good enough, I know God wants me, right? Uh, you're, you're deluded. You, we don't have confidence because we're awesome. We have confidence because Christ is awesome. When I grabbed a hold of this truth, it revolutionized my prayer life. I had read a book by Watchman Nee called The Normal Christian Life, and he talked about how we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's not this, just that our sins are forgiven because he, uh, his blood paid the penalty for our sin, but we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, and when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And so when I come into the presence of God, he's pleased with me, no matter, you know, no matter whether or not I've read my Bible and gone to church and helped little old ladies across the street. And... and um, this just revolutionized my prayer life. And for a long time, I would start my prayers and say, God, I'm coming into your presence. Not because I am worthy, but because Christ is worthy and I'm clothed in his righteousness. And based on that truth, I draw near to you. And then I would pray. 
Sometimes I need to confess my sins immediately and, some, and, and then tell him my desires and relate to him. And that grounding in who I was uh, changed my prayer life. Because prior to that, I didn't feel like drawing near until I felt pretty good about me and how I was doing as a Christian. Let us then, with confidence, draw near moment by moment, day by day, to the throne of grace. An incredible privilege. What an incredible privilege. Now, what are we going to find there? Draw near to God. And a lot of people think, man, if I got too close to God, I'm going to get close, and then he's going to, I'll get close enough, he's going to reach out and slap me, right? He's been wanting to spank me, and if I just hang back a little bit, I, I can't get spanked. But if I get too close, I'll get singed. What are we going to find there? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we draw near to God, what we find, what we receive is mercy and grace. What's mercy? Mercy is uh, getting what you don't deserve, right? You deserve chastisement. You deserve a frowny face. And instead, you, re you receive mercy and find grace. Grace, uh, when you read... When you're reading the Bible and you come across grace, it usually means one of two things. It's either talking about undeserved uh, merit or it's talking about divine empowerment. And here I, I see it, I, I think it's divine empowerment. That you may find grace, divine empowerment, to help in time of need. Where, to whom do you turn? Where do you go in your time of need? Do you draw near to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you expect that if you draw near to God, what you're going to get is mercy and grace? If you don't believe that, a little, later in Hebrews it says, uh, in, uh, if you don't believe God exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him, you can't have faith, right? Uh You've got to believe, if you don't believe that drawing near to God is going to result in mercy and grace in your life, why would you draw near to God, right? But if you believe drawing near to God is good for me, it benefits me, you'll want to draw near to the Lord. So, I, I, I often think to myself, you know, here's my motivation, uh, probably my primary motivation for prayer uh, nowadays is, if I'm, if I'm not bringing my life to the Lord, I'm missing out on some mercy and grace that he might, that could, might otherwise be poured into my life. And so I try to remind myself, uh, even when life is you know, going quite well and I'm not necessarily feeling my need, to keep coming to the Lord, bringing my life before him so that I may receive back from him mercy and grace. We need that, don't we? So what... What a glorious truth. Let's take a moment uh, to respond. What is, what is God speaking to your heart this morning? Maybe you are convicted that you're not taking full advantage uh, of the access to God that you have. 
maybe uh, maybe you needed to hear about the confidence and the fact that you are accepted because the righteousness of Christ is yours. And, and maybe God wants to fill your heart with some needed confidence in his love for you and, and, and your acceptance to him. Maybe you've been looking for mercy and grace in the wrong places. And God is saying, hello, it's me. None of this would be possible if Jesus Christ uh, had not been obedient to the Father all the way to the point of death. And so, if you are, let me remind you of the first verse I quote in Second Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. You cannot find peace with God uh, by following the teachings of Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith. Uh, it is only Jesus Christ. You won't find peace with God by being a good enough person. If you could be good enough, why in the world would God leave heaven and go through the uh, brutality of the cross? He did that because that was the only hope we had. And so if you're not a Christian and you want to draw near to God and find his mercy and grace, it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And if that's you, uh, that's your response today. Jesus, I want to become your follower. And there's nothing I would rather do uh, after the service than to talk with you, pray with you, uh, and talk about your next steps as uh, a new follower of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us enough to send your son, Jesus, your only begotten son whom you love. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the point of the cross. And we step into that by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.